Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, crew. Did you know that you can use code PUREDOGTALK at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders to receive $20 off? <laughs> I'm saving you 20 bucks, guys, off each Embark for Breeder kit you buy. Embark for Breeders dog DNA kits bring you the genetic results you need to create a best-in-show breeding program. Identify your puppy's genetic profiles before they go to their new homes, like I did, and give new owners peace of mind and useful genetic health information. Embark, creator of the highest-rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available and easy-to-download OFA submission reports for breeders. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, and don't forget this part, use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. And remember to use the code PUREDOGTALK. They're world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am so excited. I have back with us again. You guys might remember a while back we had a conversation with Bo Bingston and Paul Lipiani. And Bo is back, and we are going to talk about sight hounds, like the whole glorious beauty and elegance and mystery and all of the fabulous things that are sight hounds. So welcome, Bo. I'm really excited to have you come back and talk to us. Thank you, Laura. I'm glad to be here. So for people who perhaps have, for some strange reason, never heard of Bo Bingston, which I can't imagine, tell us a little bit about yourself. We call it the 411. How you got started at this and your involvement. Okay. I started a long, long time ago. 1958, I went to my first dog show and it was right away like lightning struck. I was 14 years old, I think. And I knew that, just knew right away that this was what I wanted to devote my life to. It was really fascinating. It was a combination of, I think someone has said it's a combination of zoo and circus and stage theater or something mm. like that. It's true. Yes. Today, I probably wouldn't think it was so excited, but I remember a lot of that first show. And I have been ever, ever, always most interested in dog shows. And I guess because I'm old and because you get interested in history too. And, and the sight towns are not bad. They've been my favorite ever since, forever. And they are a very old, old breed, old type of dog. And they have been around for a long, long time. And when I came to this country, I was born in Sweden. I was brought up there and I was involved in dogs for 20 years there. And I moved to this country in California in 1980. And I have ever been in California ever since. And I love sight towns. We started Sighton Magazine in 1984, Sighton Review, and 
been through different variations, permutations. We started an Orbit magazine too, which is very well, Dogs in a View, which yes. you may remember. I'm my favorite only... dog magazine of all time. I miss it desperately. <laughs> I miss it too, but we don't miss the stress that came with it. Yes. Yeah, it, it's very wonderful. Okay. And the Saturn Review was sold at the time and I got it back. And most recently I made it into a Whipper magazine because I'm basically retired and I don't need the stress so much. Right. It's a lot, right? I mean, that's something that I absolutely appreciate, even with just my little podcast. The amount of time and energy we put into this is pretty incredible. And we are all grateful. You also had a book that you published a few years ago, I think, Best in Show. Yes. I had a very good book that was a big book. And yes. I did a lot of research for several years beforehand, and it sold very, very badly. Unfortunately, the publisher who did a beautiful job on printing the book, it's called Best in Show, the history of show dogs and dog shows. And unfortunately, they changed it. It's the same thing that happened with movies I get out, I guess, because the team that were involved in the book and produced the book got laid off or whatever, and the new team that came in, they didn't care about the book at all. It was, was very, very sad. My Whipper book, another book I've written, has done extremely well and sold out and charged a lot of money on the internet whenever a copy is available. But this one you can get on the Amazon for $5 or something like that. It's, it's, it's really, really kind of embarrassing. Oh, really that's sad. a shame. It is such book. an amazing book. It was very good. Great reviews. It's a fabulous book. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it, and it was a lot of work to do it, and I'm kind of disappointed that it didn't sell as well as it should have, and a lot of people don't know about it. Well, we're going to fix that. The okay. next episode you and I are going to do is we're going to talk about the history of dog shows, and we're going to talk about that book more. But today, I think mm -hmm. I really want to tap into that fabulous sighthound knowledge. So give us a definition for people who don't come from sighthounds. Talk to us. I mean, clearly it says sight hound. They're hunting by sight. So what <laughs> What else do we have? You have to know a little bit about coursing if you're involved in sight hounds. They have remained the same for thousands of years, the basic type. And eventually, there weren't breeds early on, but different types of sight hounds. And if you look at the early description of coursing, which is the pursuit of game with sight hounds by vision, by sight, Yes. That's why they call sight towns, as opposed to sand towns. That is a sport that's now these days illegal in most of the U.S., not in, out here west, I don't think. But in many, many states it's illegal because it's considered cruel. And it's been superseded by lure coursing, which is an artificial form of coursing. And that is basically when you realize how amazingly fascinated the sight towns, all sight towns are of anything that runs that is small. And yes. sometimes to the detriment, unfortunately, but yes. it's a very fascinating thing to watch. Well, and I think about, you know, sighthounds to me are absolutely the epitome of that dog developed to work with man. Bringing home an antelope or bringing home a rabbit meant the difference between people starving to death or not. Well, it was very much that it was before firearms, basically, yes. when the only way you had to hunt was with the dogs and whatever they could course and kill was basically today's dinner. Firearms made sighthounds very much superfluous. Mm -hmm. And I think the sport then was inherited by, it became very much a status symbol. Mm -hmm. And that's why sighthounds, well, of course, they're aesthetically pleasing and 
so many rich people and noble people, aristocratic people, preferred to hunt with sighthounds, not because of need, but because it was a beautiful spectacle and pretty expensive spectacle too. In various parts of the world, Queen Elizabeth I was very fond of coursing. In Russia, they coursed with Borzoi. And in the Far East, there were Salukis or different Saluki types. And when we think about the sighthounds, it goes all the way from Afghan hound to whippet in size Uh and in style. But all of them have that sort of airs above the ground feel about them. Yes? Well, that is true. But also, there is no official definition of what a sighthound is. So there is a great disagreement about what breeds actually count as sighthounds. You can count as few as four or five as pure sighthounds and as many as 40 as sighthound-related or different types of sighthound, breeds that we don't know in this country and breeds that we probably wouldn't define as breeds, but more as types of different, uh, you know, there are different breeds in India, for instance, that we don't see at all in this country. Right. There's one that starts okay. with an M. Help me out here. <laughs> there is probably a mud hole hound you're, yes. you're yes. going after. Well, yes. there are a lot of... We mentioned caravan hound is probably yes. one of the more defined. We have also Chipiparai and Shortai and Kani and Kalagtazi and Raya Palam and Rampu hound, although there are probably... They've been crossed so much with greyhounds. And you've got Taigan and Tatsi. And I don't think we would necessarily call all of them breeds, but... Certainly, you get very offended if you are an Indian and if you are a fancier of these breeds or types of sighthound. We would probably say that describe them as types of Saluki or Greyhound crosses, very similar. Mm -hmm. I know I did an interview with a fellow about the caravan hounds. That was a fascinating conversation. They're fascinating breeds. And lots of Americans, I shouldn't say lots, but a few Americans and Canadians have gone to India and the Far East and whatever and looked for these dogs and tried to research them. And they have had very mixed fortunes. I mean, I don't know whether you can call them breeds. They're not consistent enough for that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think one of the things that's also fascinating to me is you have your Afghan hound, you have your Saluki, you have your Mm -hmm. just very ancient, very traditional, your Russian wolfhound, your Borzoi. You have these breeds that are very much long in standing and in development. Mm -hmm. And those are very much specifically coursing breeds. And you have newer breeds, say, for example, the Whippet or the Rhodesian Ridgeback or something along those lines. Talk about the differences in those developments of those breeds. Well, I think we have to go back again a couple of thousand years because there have probably always been different sizes of greyhounds, greyhound types. Mm Mm-hmm. The big ones, which were the ancestor of the modern greyhound, and we have the different smaller ones that were ancestors of the whippet and the Italian greyhounds. That doesn't mean that they have not been crossed, because they mm-hmm. certainly have suffered several crosses of greyhounds. But I think that whippets, although they weren't described as a breed until late 1800s, right. they were certainly been around much longer. There's something like, well, I mean, Catherine the Great of Russia had little English greyhounds, as she called them. And they were very important to her, and she nursed them herself, and they slept on a pink couch in her bedroom. But whether they're Italian greyhounds or whether they were whippets, who knows? I mean, they Hmm. were very small, and probably whether they were Italian greyhounds or whippets, it is kind of irrelevant these days. Interesting. That's a story I had not heard. I love that. And then let's talk about the breeds that are more than the Irish wolfhound, the Scottish deerhound, the Rhodesian ridgeback. 
the borzoi, the breeds that were coursing really large animals. Right. The Irish wolfhound was coursing wolves, mm-hmm. and the deerhound was, of course, coursing deer. And the wolfhound is basically a new breed, a recreated breed, I should say. Recreated, yeah. Yeah. About 200 years ago, almost 150 years ago, Captain Graham, who uh, was born in 1833, he made it his life's work to recreate mm-hmm. what he thought wolfhounds were supposed to have been. Since the wolf did not exist in Ireland anymore, he basically recreated them using deerhounds, using Great Danes, using various breeds, and he was quite open about that. Mm-hmm. And I think wolfhounds are, maybe for that reason, who knows, they are one of the breeds that really are in trouble right now. The quality is very high, but would you believe that the wolfhound standard actually uses the word graceful, I think? In, they should be graceful. And that's not a definition you see of most wolfhounds. And they certainly should be a greyhound of greater size and strength, as well as a deerhound. And you wonder whether they really are. I mean, we get into modern judging these days. But right. if you look at the Irish wolfhound from 1927, there is a wonderful... Have you heard of British Pate? They're historical. They show little videos before their main feature in movie theaters in the old days. Oh, wow. I vaguely remember that from when from I was very, very young and a kid. And in 1927, there was something a wolf found was best in show in, in Ireland, and it was mm. really beautiful. And that was only 50 years after the breed had been recreated, basically, by Captain Graham. Right. And I think it's very interesting to look at the phenotype of these breeds that were coursing larger game versus mm. the phenotype of a small game coursing dog, a Basenji or a Whippet or a Faro Hound even, or Ibethan Hound. So, so much variety and style within the basic concept of sight hound. Well, there is the debate whether Ibethan Hounds and Faro Hounds are really sight hounds. That's some of the fringe breeds. I mentioned earlier that there is a great disagreement about which breeds really are sight hounds. Right. That's why I was poking it. I was poking it. Go ahead. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, we have anything from, like I said, four or five breeds that are key breeds, that are definitely breeds. Actually, you can say as few as two breeds. They are Greyhound and the Saluki are basically the ur-sighthound, what sighthounds are supposed to be like. Even whippets, you get a little bit different because they definitely have been crossed with terriers and mm-hmm. some other stuff in probably some of them in the 1700s, 1800s, and some of them in the 1900s as well. We know mm-hmm. that. That is documented. But as soon as you get a couple of steps what is a terrier? What is a sporting dog? Basically, they are very artificial, our group division. Right. And I think that the breeds don't lend themselves to that that easily. If you take one step away from Saluki, you get the Afghan hound, which is a little more powerful. And if you take several steps away from the greyhound, you get the Bison hound and you get the Portuguese podengo and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not sure whether there are sites or not. And of course, the main, the big, big controversy concerns Redis and Ridgebacks, if they are really Cytons or not. Yes, that was where I was headed. I was meandering my way to Ridgebacks because this is such a fascinating conversation to me. It's a fascinating breed and I like it very much, but I don't personally consider them Cytons. The ASFA, the American Cyton Field Association, mm-hmm. have them as, they're allowed to course. And AQC, I think, has them coursing too. Yeah, yes. they do a little coursing. And most of the coursing people say that they have a different way of coursing, and they mm-hmm. were never meant to course rabbits the way that the Saluki or Greyhound were. And if you mention to anyone in Europe, 
that Ridgebacks are a sight town, they get absolutely appalled. <laughs> they may like Ridgeback, but they absolutely could not understand that at all. So it depends a little bit on where you are and who you are and what breeds you consider sight towns. See, this is the conversation I wanted to have. So let's pick another one. Now, I think about actually own Ibethan hounds. And to me, their structural development to do their job is so radically different than any mm-hmm. other sight hound that I can think of. And yet they hunt by sight. Right. They hunt by sight, but they also hunt in a different manner than yes. Greyhound and Salukis do. They very much jump, but they very yes. much try and get at their game through in different terrain from what the Salukis and Greyhounds do with open field. Mm-hmm. The islands where they are born, where they have been created, they're very much sight hunt type in body, but they have straighter angles. They have those ears that stay straight up and they hunt in a different manner. Okay. Very different. And so that is fascinating to me. And then I think about one of our newer breeds, at least newer recognition to the American Kennel Club, certainly ancient in its own country, the Azawak. The, Sort of was a hunting dog, but was a camp guardian dog, but still gets sort of lumped in with sight hounds. I think in looks, it's very much a sight hound, very mm-hmm. much an extreme sight hound, very close to the Saluki, but more, I think they're beautiful. I was so mm-hmm. afraid that they would become the breed of the day with the hip New York crowd, you know, the little black dress and the black coffee and the Nazavak and something like that, because they're not for everybody. Certainly, mm-hmm. they have a very, very difficult temperament. I was visiting a breeder, the leading breeder in the world, I think, in Italy, and she had a bunch of Azovac, and they wouldn't say hi to you, the young dogs, but they were like a herd of wild horses, kind of. And for a second, there they were a little bit like Dobermans. They were very threatening, and they are supposed to be guard dogs, too. Right. And the Tuaregs, who have them in North Africa, use them as guard dogs, as well as hunting dogs. So in that sense, they're not typical sight hounds, but most sight hounds have no guarding instinct at all. Right. It's kind of refreshing in, in many ways, but inconvenient for some people. But Azovac certainly do. And when I'd been there for a couple of hours, the older ones came up and wanted to say hi, and you felt a nose nuzzling your hand or something like that would be behind you. And if you turned around too quickly, they were gone, basically. Right. I think a lot of AKC judges have problems with Azovac. It's not very easy to... I was judging them in Europe, and had about 20 or something like that, and they were really beautiful, but most of them didn't like being touched at all, right. and Azovac shouldn't like that, and a couple of them were totally hysterical, didn't want to, they couldn't do anything with them. A very, very difficult breed, a different breed, and they're certainly beautiful and certainly wonderful in their own way, but you can't expect to get what you get from most dogs from them. Right, exactly. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast. In a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trepanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. It's the season of giving, so why not give yourself the gift of peace of mind? Sign up for Trepanion's Breeder Support Program. Their go home day offer lets you provide buyers with a special offer to try out a Trepanion policy so you can rest easy knowing your litters are covered in their new homes. You'll also get your own dedicated account manager specialized materials to include in your puppy kits, and access to a private breeder support Facebook group. Getting started is easy. Just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. 
you know, you talk about the Azawak as the don't touch me, I'm too good for you. And to me, that's sort of a component of many of the sighthounds. Irish wolfhounds were a breed that I showed a bunch of and love, and they're relatively people neutral, right? Like they're cordial to people. But so many of the sighthounds are that you are a serf and you do not touch me sort of thing. <laughs> they have that attitude, especially the eastern sighthounds, especially the Azovac, the Saluki, yes. the Afghan hound, and to a certain degree the Borzoi. Yes. And I like that very much. I mean, you have to be pretty confident and you can't assume that the dog will do your bidding. It does very much what it wants to do and you come in. And if, if you are really good, they will actually show their affection to you. The Western dogs, Western sightowns are a little more normal in that sense, like most dogs. Right. And whippets are immediately affectionate. I remember when I first got into this country, was very new on the board of the American Whipper Club. One of the breeders was telling me how he liked the fact that his dogs were a little standoffish. And I thought that was kind of shocking because whippets are supposed to overwhelm you and go get right and love you very much right away. And most of them do. Yes. Whippets to me are a fabulous breed. I couldn't understand them. I came from sporting dogs like whippets. I just couldn't get the fascination with whippets forever and ever and ever. And then at one point I was handling dogs with an individual that had a whippet that needed to kind of get away from home, get a little unmommyized and go on the road. And she came home with me and I was ill that day. And I crawled into bed and curled up in the fetal position as I was wont to do at the time. And that dog came in and curled up right against the part of me that hurt so badly, like this living heating pad. And it was instant. I'm like, okay, now I get it. (laughs) That's very typical of whippets. I should perhaps mention that I have had whippets since 1961 or something like that. I think of my first whippet from England in those days. And I've had whippets continually ever, ever since. And I always think that, yeah, that would be really cool to have a more impressive, more magnificent, more macho breed, it's great, you know, whatever, something like that. But whenever it's time to get a new puppy, I, it's very hard not to get another whippet instead. <laughs> Everybody says that they're like peanuts and you can't have just one. You have to have two or three or something like that. And that's basically true. I have three right now and I am getting a fourth very, very soon. Oh my goodness. There's a puppy. Yep. I can't stand it. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sworn many times, it's probably my last puppy. I've said about six times before. I was going to say, we've all said it, Bo. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let's move from, say, the Whippet, the very personable, very cuddly, very people-oriented dog, still going to chase something and not listen to you if it gets out of your yard. Right. And take that and put that next to another I would characterize sighthound, a different type of sighthound, the Basenji. Similar size. Well, Basenji is questionable also. Again, the same as Ridgeback. A lot of people would not consider it as a sighthound. They do, of course. I like Basenjis very much, but I don't think they're really sighthounds. They hmm. certainly not belong to what the pure sighthound breeds are. And right. they don't belong to the FCI group Saiton. I think perhaps the difference is that we in this country don't have a long tradition of Saitans. There is nothing. AKC has formally decided what Saitans are when they started lure coursing. And right. AKC, I mean, they have the Spitzbreed as one of the Saitans, which has absolutely nothing to do with Saiton at all. I can't imagine what they do that for, but they do have that. Which one is that? Help me with that. I'm, I'm not... I think it's Norbot and Spets or something like oh. that, which is 
Totally. I mean, AK Sulu, of course, has Afghan hound, Basenis, Borza, Greyhound, Ibizan hound, Irish Wolfhound, Italian Greyhound, Farohound, Ridgeback, Seleucus, Deerhound, Whippets. And they also have Azavak, Chineco, Portuguese Podengo, which is interesting, Flugi. Mm-hmm. And they used to have Thai Ridgeback, but they don't have it anymore. So I guess they don't exist anymore. But instead, mm-hmm. they have something called Peruvian Inca Orchid, which I didn't know that. They are apparently a breed in the making. They are in FSS, I think. I'm not sure. Right. Maybe they've made it to miscellaneous. I haven't actually looked recently. Yeah, and AKC also have, I want to mention that, they have this Norbottom Spitz, mm-hmm. which is a spitz breed, comes from my part of the world, right. and absolutely nothing in common with Saitans at all. And I don't know why they actually, it's so weird, so weird. <laughs> I mean, absolutely no relationship to Saitans at all. And the people in that breed apparently like it, the fact that they can compete for Lure Course in title because it's one more title they can compete for. Right, right. But I think it's very strange. Interesting. All right. I'm just adding more button spet to my next thing that I want to find somebody to talk to me about. So- <laughs> yeah, I think that will be really interesting. I've only yes. talked a little bit to the parent club and they didn't care. They didn't think they were sightons, but they were happy to do little coursing anyway. So that's okay. <laughs> Fascinating. So, all right, back to our, if you will, as you said, or dog, the Saluki on one side. I always say that Saluki's if there's ever a breed that was like from the head of Zeus, sort of thing. <laughs> right, yeah, I think that's pretty true. I mean, uh, not exactly from the head of Zeus, but he did exist 10th century AD. We were perfectly typical Saluki, were pictured in a painting on silk from the 10th century AD. Some Kyrgyz hunters on horseback, that's now in the National Palace Museum in Taiwan. And mm. I've seen the picture you know, the reproductions of that picture, but I want to see it. That Saluki looks beautiful. And it's so many uh, hundreds of years ago, you know? Right. I wanted to just continue to follow on the Saluki and then just looking at the phenotypical difference between a Saluki and a Greyhound, you can see the quasi sighthounds or the almost sighthounds or the descended from sighthounds. You can see the direction they came from, right? Either Saluki or right. Greyhound. Right. It's Saluki and Greyhound you should have in your mind. The smooth Saluki is probably even more typical than the feathered Saluki, but they were pretty rare these days. Did you know there are smooth Afghan hounds, by the way? I knew there were smooth Salukis. I had no idea smooth Afghans. They're very, very rare, but once in a while they come not badly coated, but smooth Afghan hounds. It's kind of interesting. Huh. And there used to be wire-haired whippets. Did you know that? No. Wire-haired whippets. I have heard long-haired whippets. But not wire-haired No, whippets. long-haired whippets is silk and windhounds. They're yes. kind of popular. They're breed yes. now. We have had lots of problems with those 20 years ago or 50 years ago or something like that. But these days, I've actually judged them in Europe, would you believe? As silk and windhound, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Did this discuss if they really are purebred or not? And uh-huh. I mean, they are a new breed, and they are obviously a constructed breed, but they didn't exist a long-haired in, in the old days. But okay. Did. And Salukis have a very interesting history. Have you seen that? This beautiful picture of Zilla, the only Saluki in England, from the early 1800s. She was called a Persian Greyhound, but she's quite definitely a Saluki and modern show type. And mm. of course, there is a huge James Ward oil painting in color from 1807, I think. Yes. It was first owned by a British breeder, but then was sold to America, and it's now on display at the Dog Museum in New York. And yes. it's definitely worth seeing. It's very gorgeous. I saw it when I was there. It is incredible. It's huge. It's life-size. And yes. the dog, it looks, don't you think that looks very much like a modern Saluki? I mean, Absolutely. tons of feathering and very beautiful. Absolutely. And then the Greyhound, 
And I think in dogs generally, we talk about the greyhound type and the mastiff type and everything comes from one or the other. Right, right. So within the sight hounds, the greyhound is maybe even the more ur dog. And just the concept of the greyhound type, like the Irish wolfhound says, a rough-haired greyhound type. Well, uh, okay, <laughs> right? So well, if you go back a couple of thousand years, there is a wonderful treatise on coursing by a Greek statesman called Arian, Arian, who was very modern in his approach to the greyhound. He liked it. He said you should talk to them. You should basically let them sleep in bed. He describes his own dog very, very, very sweetly as. You know, when it pops first one leg and then the other on his on him whenever he's eating something because he wants something too. And mm. it feels just like this guy from a couple of thousand years ago is sitting in the room with you and talking about his dog. It's mm. kind of cool. And wow. this was definitely a greyhound. He describes the physical features and they are very, very gentle and sweet natured, as he says. They're very cool. And talk to me about the things that we think of sighthound related, the rose ears in many cases that beautiful, elegant neck, the rise over the loin to create the double suspension gallop, all of that. Can you talk to just the structure pieces that are sighthounds? Sighthounds should be, and this is very important for the AQC judges to remember, for all judges to remember, that all sighthound breeds should be judged basically on running gear. Mm -hmm. Ears, yeah, fine. Heads, fine. It's important. But feet and proportions and legs and angulation is really the important thing. That is the crucial thing, whether they can function or not. Ears, maybe heads, etc. eyes. I always get in trouble with this because I don't think eyes are that important. But in some breeds, they are, of course. But they are more a mark of distinction on breed type mm -hmm. than really functional because it doesn't matter how the eye is shaped or what color it has or how big it is if the dog can see it really well. Right. I always am fascinated by that whole... I don't know. To me, the piece that screams sighthound to me is elegance. Even an Irish wolfhound, a good one, right. has an air right. of elegance about it. I was afraid you'd ask me about the difference between Irish wolfhounds and the Scottish deerhounds because the AKC standards is very, very similar. I mean, mm -hmm. I've actually, before this, when I talked to you, I studied them very carefully and compared them. And mm -hmm. there's very little, there are differences, but not very much. And like I said earlier, the Irish Wolfhound, it says in the standard, should be strong, though gracefully built. And how many are gracefully built at all? I don't think so. And they definitely should be elegant as well as powerful. And that's very, very difficult to breed, very difficult yes. to produce because it's contradictory. That's basically all the sightowns. It's very, very easy to get them as elegant as possible and certainly, certainly whippets. But getting the requisite balance and substance and the angulation also as well, it's not easy. Okay. And this is a thing that is just so fascinating to me as I'm proceeding in my judging career. The balance between power and elegance is breed specific and where a dog falls on that spectrum defines its breed so often. Can you speak to yep. that idea? Basically, I think that you need both. You need both elegance and you need substance. And you need a good length of loin, and pretty much everybody except the Azavac, of course, which should mm -hmm. be as short as possible and as high as possible. I don't think Azavac, I'm not sure you need a lot of substance as well as the elegance, but all the other breeds, you do need that. Right. I just, I love that continuum. 
All right. Well, Bo, we're going to get to talk to you more about history and dog show history and amazing dogs and amazing places and amazing knowledge. So I thank you so much for your time. And I absolutely know everybody out there does as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual After Dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the Become a Patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Oh no. Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.